Let's do it to it. Let's do it. Let's fall in love. That's a Cole Porter song. I knew none of that. Knew none of that? <laughs> none of that. I mean, somebody didn't watch Night and Day, the very factual Cole Porter musical biography starring our subject today. So. Mm. Nope. It's bad and it's full of lies. Cole, Cole, full of lies? Yeah, Cole, Cole Porter even said so. Because he, he was alive when they made it. So oh, he, fine, fine. So, so he was like, yeah, none of it's true, but whatever. I wonder if it's like that's what it's going to be like when Rocket Man comes out. <laughs> I, think, I think Elton has a hand in that, though. I think I think he does, too, but I think now that like whatever the studio saw, yeah. fucking Bohemian Rhapsody, they're like, Mm-mm-mm, I don't think so, gay shit. Yeah, exactly. They're like, we need no penis in right, this movie. But also, because did you see The Kingsman with Julianne Moore? Uh, no, because I didn't like the first one. So, right. Yeah. Um, so Elton John is in it. Oh. And like, it's like it's pretty funny. He like is captured. He's like a hostage, and he ends up like beating a bad guy up. And I wonder if like he met Taron Egerton there and was just like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he yeah. was like, would you fuck me? Yeah. I'd fuck me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, You'd be lovely in a biopic of me. me. <laughs> well, Taryn, if I can't get you inside of me, I'll get you to be me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm really getting you inside me. <laughs> Hello. <Get> inside me. <laughs> Hi, Gavin. Hi, Louie. That was, that's all making the show this Thank week. Thank you. Yeah. They, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Mixed Reviews. The Mixed Reviews is a bi-weekly podcast in which we take a film genre, actor, or director, and we talk about it. We talk about what we like. We talk about what we don't like. Yeah, we give you some reviews and they're mixed. Oh, they are so mixed up. They're as mixed as these delicious dark and stormies we are drinking. We are. Thank you for going to Bermuda and getting some delicious liqueur. I know what you like, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why you brought me here. Exactly. Um, welcome. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited for this episode. Um, but before we get into it, let's take a look at our last episode and our poll that we put up. Um, so our last episode, we had the wonderful Chris File of this hot Oscar buzz. Thank you, Chris, for coming on. Um, what a wonderful guest. It's truly so great. Um, and he cleaned up after himself. I he know. left the place nice. I know. He's not a messy bitch like those other people we've had on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting angry. <laughs> and, and Dan. And Dan. Dan. Yeah. Dan you, don't, very... you don't even remember Dan, do you? Wait, oh, but, but Dan? <laughs> yeah. Wait, I... a straight man? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked about Julianne Moore, and I will say... Um, I went and saw Gloria Bell over the weekend, and my life has changed. <laughs> oh, it are was you, so are good. You having your total eclipse of heart moment right now. When like... she came out with that dress and with that paintball gun, ugh. <laughs> run, do not walk to see Gloria Bell. Um, we asked you guys what your favorite Julianne performance was, um, and here are the results. Uh, my pick, Maps to the Stars, came in at nine percent. That one vote is mine. <laughs> um, we actually have a tie. Uh, Which never happens. Literally, this is our first tie. We have Safe and Far From Heaven. Um, Safe was Chris's pick, and Far From Heaven was Gavin's pick. They both got 34%. Chris, we are twinsies. Mm-hmm. And then, but we also got a big showing for Other, which is not surprising since there's so many things to pick up yeah. from. Um, I, I said it to Chris even before we started recording. This is the blessing and the curse of being so prolific that yeah. everybody's going to have a different opinion. So. Yeah, we. I mean, Nine Months, The Kids All Right were mentioned, um, Still Alice, which she won her Oscar for, The Hours, A Single Man... Um, we had one straight bro say the Big Lebowski, which I called. <laughs> Thanks for listening and or not listening, straight bro. Yeah, but I just get it. <laughs> I just understand straight man, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, a, a really good showing and that thing that just kind of shows how popular she is. So yeah. it's not like where she's had one great movie and everyone knows it. She's had so many. 
Absolutely. And uh, real quick, by the way, I just want to, I said I would read them on the show if we got more. So I want to keep my promise. We actually got three more five-star reviews Ooh. with actual reviews. So I want to mention DJ Mecca said, these dudes are great. The depths they dive into each actor, actress, or subject is unparalleled in the movie podcast world. Smiley face. Smiley face. Uh, from CMDM, I adore these guys. They're funny and informed. Plus, they love Rachel Wise. Vice. I know. I'll get it right someday. Oh my god. Um, and from Sing It Back, uh, Jimmy World reference. I was oh just god. listening to Jimmy World on the way over here. That's I, insane. I love. I love you. Sing it back. Uh, I love this podcast. The hosts are knowledgeable and delightful, and each episode is always such a fun listen. Oh, thank you. Thank each you so episode much. Episode is so generous. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, guys. Uh, I. I hate saying this because it makes it sound like, oh, he slaved all day over the hot stove. But so much work goes into each episode. So it's really nice to hear that people are listening and that they're enjoying what they're listening yeah, to. Yeah, we appreciate you guys. Absolutely. So if you listen on iTunes, you can also give us a five-star review and write us something nice and we'll read it on the show. We love adoration. Absolutely. Um, so Gavin, why don't you tell us who we're talking about? For this episode. Wild chum. We're talking about Cary Grant. That's the worst. Is that your Cary that Grant? Was, I, normally I'm better. I'm a little stuffed up. Mm, a little okay, okay. Stuff. Sure, Jan. It's in here. Uh-huh. The sinus oh. is blocking. Yeah, the sinus. Hello. No. No, nope, nope, can't do it. No, no, no. But yes, we were talking about the gorgeous, the yes. prolific, the le- like actual legendary. Absolutely legendary. Uh, Cary Grant. Very tan man. Very tan. Yeah, I have an anecdote about that. But well, save it for the rewind. Yeah. Um... I think, uh, why did we choose Cary Grant? So, it had been a really long time since, uh, we had done somebody who was dead. We did, uh, Joan Crawford many moons ago. And, uh, I don't know. It's a lot of fun. It's fun to delve into the history and the entire arc of someone's life in a way that we can't with other people. Right. We know. Rachel Weisz, uh, uh, Julianne, Julianne Moore, Moore, Regina King. Regina King. These are all people who are going to have more yeah. movies. Yeah. Uh, Cary Grant's done. I mean, I feel like also, I mean, we, th- those last three episodes we did were, um, women of the time. And like you said, they're still growing. Um, I think I kind of felt like it was good to like clean the slate a little bit, you know? Yeah. We're out of Oscar season and, um, kind of a little bit in no man's land as far as like movies coming out right now. And, and it's funny because he was actually your pick. Which, yeah. like, surprised me to my core. <laughs> well, I, I, so, fully heads up, um, Cary Grant has over 70 film credits to his name. Um, I, in fact, did not watch 70 movies. Um, Gavin, how did you do? Uh, I did pretty well. I had seen a, a good number okay. of them beforehand, but there were huge, uh, I want to say parts of his career that, I should have seen a very long time ago. I've been a film fan since I was like nine and I finally got around to watching them and I was really excited, but I would say so, some, somewhere in the 20 plus. Remember, I took a trip to Bermuda, no joke, mm-hmm. in the middle of doing this, the research for this episode. So casual. Yeah. I, I watched 14 films, which is not bad, but also like grain of salt, guys. <laughs> um, um, but they're I, short, Louis. How dare you? That's not true. His movies there's, are not yeah, short. There's, there's like some of the early thirty ones are like an hour and a half, but everything else is like two hours. I like, fully was. Uh, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Some of them I, I nodded off during because I was like, oh, this movie is still happening. Um, but I, I wanted to do Cary Grant because I wanted to like see these movies. These are like um, American classics. 
And um, I'd never gotten around to it. And so I thought, what a good opportunity to, um, you know, finally fill in this uh, gap in my pop culture um, knowledge. So, yeah, I'm really excited to get into it. Me too. And he is, before we move into the rewind as well, like, the, the thing about him is he is essentially the quintessential movie star, which is really funny because... It wasn't easy for him to get in. Right. Um, there were a lot of obstacles right away. He almost never really felt he was that good mm-hmm. at what he did either. Uh, he w- he would often comment on how he was copying other actors in order to create the persona. But I think the way that he's remembered is the sort of square-jawed, handsome everyman. Yep. And he really sort of represented that on screen. Yep. And you also have to understand, when we talk about actors now... We're not so much in a time period in which we care so much about actors. That's one of the fun things about doing this show, because people don't really care about movie stars anymore. Right. Um, and Cary Grant comes from a time in which people really only cared yeah. about movie stars. That was the draw to the film. Yeah. And I think also, uh, you either know this or you don't, but Cary Grant had an insanely um, awful kind of childhood um, that extended well into his life um but we'll get into that we will get into that so louis why don't we move into our rewind <laughs> the way you said rewind. rewind that is that is how they pronounce it yeah. here <laughs> carrie grant was born archibald alec leach and that was his real name <clears throat> Can't you just see that on Marquis yeah, now? Yeah. Archibald Alec Leach. What a fun, sexy name, Leach. <laughs> mm. He was born on January 18th, 1904 um, in northern Bristol. Um, he was the second child of Elias James Leach and Elsie El- Maria Leach. Um, his father was a tailor presser at a clothes factory, and his mom was a seamstress. Right off the top, I gotta tell you, his parents were fucking nuts. Yeah. And not in a... um. In, a very, in very complicated ways. Um, I watch... There's a documentary out on Showtime called Becoming Cary Grant, <clears throat> which really dives into... Um, they essentially found his diary and his unpublished uh, memoir. Archie's older brother died when he was very young. Um, the mom banged a door, closed a door on his finger. He got uh, gangrene and then died. It's so... Like, I... And this I, was before yeah. Archie was even born. So... The mo- if you can just imagine what kind of grief, you know, with losing a child because you, you know, I mean, she, she blamed herself. Right. And so, um, if you can just imagine that kind of grief. And so they have this new son, Archie, um, and he, he said that his parents were really strict and, um, mom was very overbearing and kind of, you know, coddled him a lot, a lot, way, uh, beyond the point where, um, you know, he, he mentions in the documentary that he was kept in, like, uh, baby dresses and had, like, long curly hair for a long time. Becoming a mother is hard enough. Yeah. And then, like, you know, there's no help for mothers who are grieving. On top of that, her husband was a known philanderer. Yeah. He was cheating on her Absolutely. constantly. Um, so, I will say his mom did teach him how to sing and dance when he was four years old and um, she would take him to the movies where he would see movies by Charlie Chaplin. By the time he, I think he was 11 years old, he came home one day from school and mom was gone. Um, and dad just like, didn't say much about it. Yeah. Just, um, at first he was told she was, uh, she went on a long trip. Yep. 
And, but then, you know, days and weeks and months go by and, you know, mom is still not around and he just, um, assumed that she had died. Um, I, or the father eventually said told her she, that, she yeah, died. She died of a heart attack. Um, what actually happened? So fucking dark. Um, Archie's dad had her institutionalized. Yeah, involuntarily committed. Yeah. Um, it, what's interesting about this time period too is there is a um Victorian uh women's clause that essentially s- says that a man can have a woman, uh institutionalized yep. for being hysterical yep. without anything else any evidence yep exactly it's literally you know a man could just like sign a paper being like take my wife away she's yeah. crazy and and it certainly freed him up yeah i mean archie went and um lived with his grandma for a while while um his dad moved to another neighborhood with a new family yeah it started a whole new family why not he just was like fuck my wife fuck my kid i'm yeah. gonna do this over here instead um and so, so there's Archie, 11 years old, no mom, no dad. Um, he briefly went to grammar school, um, but he, uh, got expelled for spying in a, on a woman, like a girl's restroom. Yeah, there, there is many stories as to why he got expelled. That's the most popular one. But, uh, for the most part, it's said that he most likely wanted to get expelled. I wouldn't doubt it. He was not a good student. Um, yep. He was mostly known as the, um, annoying boy, the naughty little boy who was always making noise in the back row and would never do his homework. But he was very athletic. And that really helped him move into the next portion of his life. Yeah. So the next portion, he, um, kind of got caught up in this swirling life of vaudeville. Um, he is at the Pender Troop. Um, they were just like, if you can imagine like this bohemian ragtag group of, um, you know, just, Every people from everywhere, you know, um, who don't feel like they don't have a place, um, in life, they would, they all came together. And that's where, um, Carrie said that he found like a family, um, and they would put on shows and tour around and Carrie was doing these like acrobatic things, um, you know, kind of tumbling and doing stilt walking and all sorts of stuff. And he, he had nothing to do at home anymore. So why not just hang out with them and like tour the country? Absolutely. They even went as far as traveling to the U.S. on the RMS Olympic. And during that time, he, he actually met uh, famous film star Douglas Fairbanks, uh, who was very physically fit. Um, and he, he was hot as fuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Douglas Fairbanks and, and Mary Pickford were on this ship. And um, Cary Grant, very young Cary Grant, or Archibald Leach, as he was at this time, mm-hmm. uh, sort of became enamored with this man and and wanted to emulate this this specimen of of yeah. of perfect. I don't know. He just has a perfect body, and yeah, so that's like, and and Cary Grant kept that from from that until well into his sixties. He would get up every morning and exercise, and like constant, constant paying attention to what he was eating and, and all the exercises he was doing. But it's funny because in any print journalism that happened, he would tell people he wasn't doing anything, that he was just naturally that way. I mean, if you can just imagine you're, you're like 13, 14, and you're basically on your own. You're like with this kind of like weird artsy performance group. Um, you don't have real parents or anyone telling you what to do or how to like grow up. And then you see like this, this like stunning human specimen and you're just like that's what i want um 
But so yeah, he goes touring um, to the United States um, with the Pender Troop. And after two years of performing, the troop decides, okay, we're going to go back home. And Archie is like, fuck no. <laughs> there, he's in New York and he's like, I want to just stay here. I have nothing to go back to back there, you know? Um, remember, he still thinks his mom's dead. Yeah. Um, and his dad is an asshole. <laughs> um, so he's in New York and he starts auditioning. She wants to be on Broadway. Um, and slowly but surely he starts getting booked. And just, just, I mean, he was doing other things during that time as well. He was part of the knockout comedians, which was a troupe. And then he formed another one called the walking Stanleys and they became very, very popular. He also, during this touring time, and this is my, one of my favorite things about him is he, met the Marx Brothers, who at the time were also very popular vaudeville people. They hadn't made a film yet. But the one that he ended up loving the most was Zeppo Marx. Now, if you're not familiar with the Marx Brothers, I beg you to go watch one of their films with Zeppo, because Zeppo is no one's favorite Marx Brother. <laughs> Zeppo is the attractive, young member of the troupe that is used solely as a straight man, as the... They do the zany stuff, and he's there to pick up after them. And I think it's so indicative of the type of character that Cary Grant becomes as an actor mm. that he loved Zeppo. Okay, yeah. Um, also worth mentioning, it's during, uh, Cary Grant had a very um, specific accent, if yes. you will. Um, it, it changed. I mean, he was born in Britain. Um, but he traveled so much, came to the U.S., traveled the U.S. I mean, like, he was in Milwaukee. He was in St. Louis. He was in Cincinnati. He was everywhere. Um, and so it, his accent started changing. And eventually it's become what's like the classic transatlantic or mid-Atlantic accent. Was he the first one to have that accent? I mean, I don't know if he was the first one, but he certainly was the person to popularize it. I don't, I don't think there was anybody that could reach the amount of people that he could through the media that had that sort of, it was sort of proper and prim, but also it's the like newscaster kind of from everywhere, um, snooty lady accent, (laughs) like, I'm quite important. Yeah. It's disgusting. I like your Cary Grant. Thank Very you. good. Oh my God. Yeah. Dead on. <laughs> um, so he starts, so he, he gets cast in these uh, Broadway shows because he's so fucking hot. Yeah. People are just like, this is handsome man needs to be in our shows. And he does a bunch of them. The problem is he can't sing. <laughs> right. Um, and so he gets really bad reviews, you know, yeah. like none of his shows that he puts on. I mean, he was in Hammerstein stuff. Yeah. Like, oh, well, I was going to tell you, by the way, he was in Hammerstein's Golden Dawn. Mm-hmm. Everyone's favorite Hammerstein <laughs> musical. Golden the, Dawn. The classic. Course, the classic. Done in high schools around the nation. <laughs> <laughs> so you, literally none of these shows were um, well received. Critics um, said he was a pleasant new ju- juvenile. Or a competent young newcomer. What a great, you know, like, <laughs> you're so competent. Wow. Exactly. This is some hot person privilege. This is that episode of John Hamm and 30 yeah. Rock. Like, and, and John Hamm's a good example of the yeah. type of look Cary Grant has. Yeah, I mean, he was just super, super hot. Um, so he's doing this for a while, and he finally decides he wants to take a vacation. And he packs up and moves to Hollywood. <laughs> I will say there's there's lots of stories about his time in New York right before we move into Hollywood. Um, and this is where it gets a little iffy. I 
Um, Iffy? Well, iffy in the sense that I listened to a book by Mark Elliott called Cary Grant. It came out only a couple years ago. Uh, Mark Elliott is a very famous biographer. He's written for a lot of people. He does his research. So I don't want to deny him of this. But uh, he is very open about the fact that Cary Grant, though heavily denied it, was a very bisexual man. Oh, I believe it 100%. 100%. When he moved to New York originally, he moved in with who became very famous um, costume designer, Ori Kelly, um, who worked in Broadway and films. It's a red flag. And they, well, they, Ori Kelly was a very out man, Australian, and they lived together as partners for many years. In fact, at one point they threw a party and Cary Grant was jealous, but Ori had invited a lot of very famous people to the party and he was sort of jealous of Ori's success and they started needling each other and it eventually became a screaming match and George Burns and Gracie Allen were were there and George Burns was quoted as saying must we bear witness to all this homosexuality <laughs> um, <laughs> what a line um, and so I I don't want to say and I don't want to speak for Louis either as, pod, as podcasterians mm. or whatever we are um, whether, you know, he's definitively bisexual or not, plenty of people have attested to it. Plenty of people have denied it. Yep. We can only present the facts as we know them. And I, I think, I think he was totally into it. But there's that. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, like, his first wife even said when he brought her back to New York for the first time, he brought her around, it showed her the entire vaudeville circuit where he used to live and would recount stories of sleeping with men, of fooling around with guys as like a youthful indiscretion of the, yeah. and she said it was the, one of the most revealing times he'd ever been with her. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, but his, you know, his daughter says she never saw it. So yeah. like there's, I mean, it's a very complicated, I mean, he was a complicated person. Right. I think, um, I, I think there is, this is a larger conversation, but I think there's a tendency for people to assume that by claiming somebody as uh, a queer person in history, you are saying something negative about them. But on the flip side of that, it's like representation is so important. Right. And it's not we're not like going around and baptizing people into our church. <laughs> we're just looking at the facts. So when you fucking go to someone's Wikipedia page or you're doing a report on somebody and it says, oh, they had a longtime roommate that was of the same gender. I don't think so, honey. Yeah, it's totally fine to assume that perhaps they were in a homosexual yeah. relationship. Yeah, and it's, it's not a negative thing. And it's fine. I mean, especially for like the time period, of course he was going to present as straight. Right. Or, and you know, and yeah, there was a time where I was like, I'm going to fucking get married to a woman too. Like, right, you know, exactly. Yeah. It's, totally fine like, everyone goes through it yeah it's fine <laughs> everyone wants to marry a lady at some point yeah thank god i got through that <laughs> um though i think you would look great in that dress i saw what you had you. picked out yeah yeah, yeah. you're right you're yeah, right exactly. and you're right you're right stylish so he's still archie still archie as he moves out to hollywood land he moves out to hollywood land the documentary said that he you know had connections and he worked those connections i have to believe also he was just like a hot white dude and they wanted like a leading lady a uh, leading man um, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. <laughs> and um, he was able to get a screen test. Yeah. And they realized he was the perfect eye candy, um, like, doormat to be next to these, like, really strong female leads that they had. You know, Mae West, um, who was just, like, chewing the house down and oh, yeah. everything she did. We'll talk about Mae West. <laughs> um, and 
he and, and at the same time uh, Arch- I believe that sirens for Mae West. <laughs> you mentioned her name. They, She's here. Yeah. <laughs> um he he wanted to establish himself as the epitome of masculine glamour. Yeah. So this was this was his first like um the, the way that he thought he was going to get into Hollywood was being just like the perfect like gentleman um uh, who was going to uh be like big and buff and like just be that uh, arm candy for yeah. whatever leading lady they needed him in. And, and honestly, there's a good 10 years, you know, the ni- the entirety of the 1930s, yeah. where his roles are referred to as tux roles. You know, he yeah, would just they, put on a tux and then do his thing. Right. So he gets signed to a, a contract right? contract for five years on December 7th, 1931, with one stipulation. He's already 27 years old, by the way. So he's a little older, but also at the time, it was a little different for men and women. Right. But uh, there's one stipulation in the contract. Get rid of that name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he goes to dinner... Uh, with Faye Ray, who he happened to star in a, a show with earlier, and she had gone out to Hollywood. Uh, I'd read reports that he convinced himself he was in love with her, even though she was with somebody else. Whatever. A little weird and stalkery. A little too nice guy, mm-hmm, Carrie. Mm-hmm. But she recommended over dinner that he call himself Carrie, because it sounded like Gary for Gary Cooper. And hmm. so he goes back and he to uh, the studio... Uh, at Paramount and proposes the name Carrie with a different last name. Lockwood. Lockwood, yes, which was a, a character a, he yeah. had played. It was a character that he had played on Broadway. And and they were like, hate Lockwood, yeah. love Carrie, because it sounds like Gary. Uh-huh. And uh, so they gave him like a list of names that they just happened to have picked out, say for people, and he picked out Grant. And they were like, yeah, I'd look great on a marquee. So that is the birth of Carrie Grant. And now we have Carrie Grant. So he makes a, a film in 1932, directed mm, by Frank yep, Tuttle, called yep. This is the Night, playing an Olympic javelin thrower. Of course. Yeah. He's got the body for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Variety praised his performance and called him a potential femme rave. And he was like, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, like, and this is kind of like goes on. He plays uh, opposite Marlena Dietrich. In Blonde Venus. Yeah. Well, if it isn't old Nick himself. I expected you to pop up someday. This is a dream, Helen. I hope I never wake up. Let me come backstage, will you? I seem to remember you came backstage once before. Marlena, by the way, reading him for filth in the gossip rags when asked what type of a lover he was on screen. Her quote was, I give him a great F for fag. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Marlena! <laughs> Other bisexual icon. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of like for fully 10 years. Yeah. Is just playing these kind of like attractive men who do nothing. And, and, you know, the, the big ones, the real big ones are, um, the Mae West films. He does two Mae West films, pre-Code era. Mm-hmm. Um, we've mentioned the code before. Basically, you could get away with anything on film within reason. And they were, like, then. super fun. Oh, they're super fun. Um, she Done and Wrong and I'm No Angel. And there's a big... My favorite, my other favorite Mae West thing about this is she... There was a big, like, myth about the fact that she discovered him. Right. That she saw him walking around a lot and was like, if that guy can talk, put him in my movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but... He'd already made that Marlene Dietrich film. He'd been in the business for at least five years before he yeah. met her. And at this time, he's making like five movies a year. Right. And that's the crazy thing, is he continues to do that for a very long time. Mae West 
if you are not familiar with her, is amazing. She is body. She is lewd. She's essentially a walking erection. <laughs> she just really wants to fuck anything that moves. Honestly, I love it. I love that. Yeah. Um. Where are those stars today? Where are they today? They're not. They don't allow them to act. They don't allow that. I feel like the closest we get is like the horny old lady trope. Like it, ha- it has to be moved into like the Betty yeah. White area, and then yeah. you're like, oh, haha, it's funny. But she was like young and curvy and just. I mean, and all, her voice was insane. Yeah, and she he gets the the classic line, the like, why don't you come up and see me? Yeah. Uh, which is not actually, why don't you come up and see me sometime? Why don't you come up sometime and see me? I'm home every evening. Yeah, but I'm busy every evening. He spends, you know, a, a whole decade doing those yeah. types of films. And he's making like almost $800 a week, you know, which was good money back then. Yeah. While he's making a bunch of these movies, and we'll come back to some of them, uh, because he does his first movie with uh, Catherine Hepburn in 35, Sylvia Scarlet. It's a huge box office disaster, but he's the one who comes out unscathed, which is really funny because he makes four films with Catherine Hepburn, and three of them are disasters, and he comes out unscathed, and almost all of them are considered classics now. Yeah, they're... So, (laughs) his first wife, Virginia Shrill, Shrill, I'm bad with last names, guys, you know this, Uh, they... uh, uh, they were married on February 9th of 1934, a year before he did Sylvia Scarlet. And he brings her back to England for the first time yeah. he's been back. And he's famous. He goes back to his town. And he goes and, back, like, in a limo. Oh, yeah. He is dressed to the nines. Yeah, he is like, fuck you all. I am rich. It's very that. It's uh, very, like, I'm coming home for my 10-year reunion. Exactly. And fuck everyone. He walks into that shop, and he's like, remember me? Big mistake. Yeah. Huge. <laughs> um, but... Uh, while he's there, he's told his father wants to see him. Mm-hmm. And he thinks, oh, like, this man's going to ask me for money. Right. So he goes and meets his father at a bar. And the man that he sees is not the man that he remembers. This is a man who has succumbed to alcoholism. Yep. He is jaundiced. He is old. He has liver disease. He has liver disease. His face is sallow. Um, and, like I said, Cary Grant, totally prepared to be like, I'm going to give him money. He's going to go away. Right. And the thing that he says to Cary Grant is, would you like to see your mother? Can you fucking imagine? Can you imagine? And it it destroys Cary for a very long time. Yeah. Can you imagine you're 20 years you've thought your mother has been dead? Yeah. With, without any explanation where she was, has gone, nothing. You know nothing. Um, and then one day, you know, and, and you think you're on top of the world. You're coming back home to really show off your success. You did it. You got out of this kind of awful situation. And um, this big lie is revealed. Like, that is straight up some soap opera shit. Yeah. Um, he goes and visits his mom. She's, a, she's definitely a woman hurt by this There's a heartbreaking um, story where he said, uh, they said that she had to be convinced to even see him. Because she did not know that he was around, who she right. he was, and at one point she she asked Archie, "Is it really you?" It's uh really fucking sad. And he had told her um, that uh, he would have her out by her next birthday, and they'd be able to celebrate together. Now he was able to get her out, which is the positive of this story. He was not able to celebrate her relation her birthday with her. Because he's a movie star. Yeah. And that's a promise he just couldn't keep. Yeah. Also... Set up, like, a, some funds just to t- keep her taken care of. But. Right. Also, this this marriage fails. Yeah. Um, miserably. 
Um, and by March 26, 1935, they're divorced. Um, and it was a bitter case. Uh, she demanded $1,000 a week from him in benefits from his Paramount earnings. Um, and that really, Cary Grant had always been cheap, kind of. Like, he'd been very much like, I'm not going to spend money on frivolous things. And this made him so distrustful of mm-hmm. anyone in his life. Yeah. Prior to this relationship, by the way, he has spent most of the time living in L.A. in what people called the bachelor pad with Randolph Scott. <laughs> so Randolph Scott uh, was another actor uh, who was essentially Cary Grant's live-in boyfriend. Love that. They did everything together. They went to parties dressed as women together. They got up every morning and exercised. And from what I've heard... It was Fire Island. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That was sex when they wanted it, or maybe not sex. Um, and uh, just cuddling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so take of that what you will. But after this relationship ended, he went back to Randolph Scott. They moved back in together, and their relationship continued for many years. This woman was only the first of Cary Grant's five wives. Yeah. So it's it, in the documentary they talk a lot about how he was very distrustful of women. Yeah. Um and. Because of this one, but also because of his... I mean, obviously, you got mommy issues, hello, and daddy issues. You got both of them, okay? None of this weirdly has much of an impact on his film career. Yeah, he's still killing it. Then, towards the end of the 30s, he really starts to find his niche. Oh, absolutely. Which is comedy. And part of that is brought on by the role in Sylvia Scarlet. Also, what was fun about Sylvia Scarlet is he got to use a British accent for the first time in his yeah. career. It's a Cockney accent and it's a little not great. Uh-huh. But he gets to do it, you know, and he like I said, he got great reviews for it. Hey you, go on upstairs and change your clothes now you're up a Let's go on. Also in the late thirties where he started like venturing outside of his um contract with um yeah, well, because he uh, Paramount, because he found he found that the five picture contract was really unfair, and he essentially becomes one of the first major independent independent performers. Yeah. Because, and we talked, we definitely talked about this during the Joan Crawford episode, which I would really recommend going back and listening to that as sort of a primer for that area of Hollywood. But many actors and actresses were under contracts, and to the point where they were essentially indentured servants to these studios. Yep. They had to make the picture the studio wanted when they wanted it and how they wanted it. Yeah, and had to do, like, really crazy, like, stunt PR things right. and, like, um, really sell them. Like, nowadays, like, you go on, like, you know, the tour thing right. and you talk to reporters. Back then, it was, like, full stunts on stunts on stunts. Absolutely. And so by making himself independent, not only was he not tied to a studio, he could go and make pictures wherever he wanted, whenever he wanted, but also it ended up getting him paid more. Yeah. Because he would get paid by picture by picture basis. I think also this time was when he, because he was out from under Paramount, he was able to kind of stretch as an actor. Yeah. Um, he was loaned out to Hal Roach's studio for a topper, which was a screwball comedy. Um, by MGM, and it became his first major comedy success. Absolutely. And I think that was when he was like, oh shit, I can be a gentleman, but kind of like loosen the necktie a little bit. Right. Um, He's now like kind of getting out of his like tux days and into just like that kind of like, aw shucks, I'm just a, you know, (laughs) a so-and-so. If if you could see Louis right now, his motions are perfect, (laughs) and I say that with no facetiousness, he's got it. Um, 
And so the next film he does after that is Leo McCary's The Awful Truth. And it is a really difficult filming situation for him because the script's not finished. Uh, Leo McCary encourages them to uh, ad-lib a lot. And Carrie's not used to working that way, so he starts to get really bitter about it. He tries to quit the film. They won't let him. Leo McCary tries to get him fired. They won't let him. Finally, he writes an eight-page manifesto about everything that he thinks is wrong with the film. He stayed up all night and written to it, and he hands it to Leo McCary. And Leo McCary often joked about that moment by saying, I immediately handed the letter to the dog in the movie and read it to him, and he bit me. (laughs) Um, But... It's actually that freedom that helps yeah. create even more of the comedic. Yeah, the awful truth is incredible. It's so good. Um, it's a divorce comedy, which you also don't see very much back then. Well, let's talk about yourselves. Ah, uh, so you're going to live in Oklahoma, eh, Lucy? How I envy you. Ever since I was a small boy, that name has been filled with magic for me. Oklahoma. We're going to live right in Oklahoma City. Not Oklahoma City itself. Lucy, you lucky girl. No more running around the night spots. No more prowling around in New York shops. I should think of you every time a new show opens and say to myself, she's well out of it. That does lead to the next crop of movies. You have 1938's uh, Bringing Up Baby, which is... Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn. Second Catherine Hepburn film. (laughs) Also a huge disaster, which sucks because it's good. It's very fun. It's one of my favorite. In fact, I had a friend over the summer tell me that he'd watch Bringing Up Baby and it does not hold up and he's dead now. It's crazy. So there you yeah, go. exactly. I will say Catherine Hep- I love Catherine Hepburn. In this movie, I was like, this bitch is grating on my last nerve. She's so annoying. Now, just a moment, Susan. Don't think that I don't appreciate all you've done. But, oh, it was nothing, but, David, really. Just a moment. But there are limits to what a man can bear. Besides that, tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to get married. <laughs> what for? Well, because... Be- <laughs> well, anyway, I'm going to get married, Susan, and don't interrupt. No. The film would famously go on to be remade with Madonna for Who's That Girl? Anyways. <laughs> Did I say famously? Um, he does He does uh, another movie with Catherine Hepburn, which is also a really lovely movie called yes, Holiday. Holiday. And then just unfortunately comes out at the wrong time. It's a, it's a film... Uh, about, like, part of the moral of it is is that you shouldn't be so tied to your possessions. You shouldn't be... This is right at the end of the Depression. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear that shit. Everybody wants their stuff. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it's yeah. difficult. But that's, that's a really fun movie, and I do love that movie. There's a conspiracy against you and me, child. What's that? A vested interest. I know. They won't let you have any fun, and they won't give me time to think. I suppose, like the great fathead you are, you told Father all your little hopes and dreams. Hmm? Pretty disappointing. Bad enough. Poor boy. Hey, what about your own evening? Not so hard, either. Poor girl. It's funny because that's when Catherine Hepburn gets labeled box office poison. Yeah. She fucking leaves Hollywood. What happens to Gary Grant? He's popular than ever. Yeah. It's like, so fun. Who cares? Like, like, yes, yes, more and more. Right. He's did us Gunga Din. Yeah. Um, it's like a military movie in India. Um, only angels have wings and in name only. Uh, he is fully at like, he is the hot new, like, and he, I will say also, he's playing the same person, but like in, like in Bringing a Baby, he's like, I'm an archaeologist, you know, right. like, as I was watching these movies, I was like, oh, this is what George Clooney's doing. Right. 
It's funny that you say that because I do think that is George Clooney is sort of the closest we have yeah, he's to, a, to a screen Cary Grant nowadays. Yeah. Where he doesn't really play characters. He plays variations of George Clooney. And I think there's, I mean, there's some leeway there. Oh, Brother Where Art, that was very much right, right. a character. Right. But, but I think most of it, it's like, and even to a certain extent, Brad Pitt a little bit. Yeah. But they're just like very handsome, charming as fuck. You know, they're not afraid to like look silly or like, you know. Right. Um, and, but all I could think of was like, wow, George Clooney's career, I, I, it, it's, it's following in the footsteps of what Cary Grant did. Um, not like step for step, but the, the thing that he's doing with that charming hot guy shtick. 1940. He's cast in Catherine Hepburn. Remember, mm-hmm. we just said box office poison. Yep. Which she, when she leaves, uh, Hollywood for, uh, the stage in New York, she starts doing this show called The Philadelphia Story. Huge hit. Everybody wants to make it into a movie. She's like, great. When? When? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bring me back. How much money? That movie is delightful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like that's like a great um, uh, description for a lot of his movies. I'm like, yeah. This is delightful. Um, he does something in the very first scene and I believe it was Mike hearing Michael Caine say it. Uh, he there's a part where they're divor- where they're divorcing and he's leaving and he walks back to the house and he looks like he's gonna punch her and then he thinks better of it, but instead he places his full hand on her face <laughs> and pushes her down to the ground. Amazing. But there's an edge to his sophistication that none can duplicate. There's one scene that stands out to me in the Philadelphia story. Done by Cary Grant in the context of the movie, it was very funny. Done by anybody else. And it would have been a brutal act against a woman. The next year, he stars in Penny Serenade, and he gets his first Academy Award nomination for Best Actor. This will be one of two Academy Awards that he doesn't get. That leads to his next film, which is the first collaboration with Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Which is Suspicion. This is almost like a new mode of Cary Grant that we're also getting into now. Um, and mostly because I think Alfred Hitchcock saw something different. He saw that, like, hot people can be kind of fucked up. <laughs> you know, like, it, it, it's like Alfred Hitchcock was that hot topic kid who was just like, but what if you were, like, fucking weird? <laughs> exactly. But also hot. Mr. Grant, you made four films for Alfred Hitchcock. And I read that he chose you because he wanted to cast you against type, explore some sort of darker side of your screen personality would you like to care, comment on that darker side of Hitch or the darker side of me the darker side of you oh I have a, I have a lot of that no I mean in your in your screen now well, I have Suspicion was your first movie you were really cast against type I heard he wanted to have you kill John Fontaine but due to studio pressure he changed the ending at the last moment well in the original book the this character had killed him he gave her the poison. But then when the exhibitors saw that, and we have previews in Hollywood, and the, some of the exhibitors saw it and uh, said, no, we don't want Cary Grant uh, killing me. You know. And so we had to change the ending and pretend it was all a dream. It was ridiculous, and that's what we did. We all have a dog inside, don't we? Don't you have, do you have, I, I don't have any more nightmares. But I just kind of wonder what motivated him to make practically all suspense movies. Money. <laughs> and Cary Grant will make these jokes later in his life about this, like, um, who he is inside, who he's projecting outward, who people want to see, 
who Archie Archie Leach is still in there, the kid who grew up with nothing and really awful, you know, and then confronting that with this glamorous new life he's created for himself. Meanwhile, remember that he's, you know, dealing with mom shit, dad shit, um, probably, you know, closeted shit. Um, right. And at this point, he's also moved on to his second wife. He married Barbara Hutton in 1942. She was one of the wealthiest million in the world, following a $50 million inheritance from her grandfather, who was a Woolworth. Um, the Woolworth? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the, the press called them, just so you know that couple nicknames isn't a new thing, the press often called them Cash and Carry. Um, that's fucking amazing. Yeah. Did they work at the New York Post? Because... Um, <laughs> and uh, the interesting thing was... Uh, Grant and her both agreed, a prenuptial agreement, that there would be no financial settlement. Um, so they wouldn't ever be accused of being married for, for money. Wow. Um, marriage lasts until 1945, uh, but they remain friends uh, yeah. for, for the rest of their lives. But the next big thing is 1944's Arsenic and Old Lace. <laughs> it's a Frank Capper film, uh, you know, starring Priscilla Lane, Raymond Massey, Peter Lorre, and... Honestly, this was a movie I should have seen years ago. Uh, I think everybody knows the thing about the fact that it's two old women who poison people. <laughs> the movie is so much fucking more than that. It is bonkers, and it's dark, and it's funny, and I loved every second of it. But there's a body in the window seat! Yes, dear! We know. You know? Of course! Yes, but, but it has nothing to do with Teddy. But, Oh, but the now, thing Mortimer, that... you just forget about it. Forget you ever saw the gentleman. Forget? We never dreamed you'd peek. What the... Who, Who is he? He's Mr. Hoskins. Adam Hoskins. That's really all I know about him, except that he's a Methodist. Oh, he's a Methodist. Oh, isn't that nice? Uh, the next big one he does is None But The Lonely Heart. Um, this is the movie that... I th that his accent is shaky, quaky. Yeah. Also done, but the Lonely Heart is also really fucking sad. Um, uh, yeah, this was like his, again, him trying to be very, like, um, dramatic. This was right. him trying to do something really different. A quick little trivia fun fact in the set of this movie, in the background, there was an actual photograph of his father. Oh, wow. He, like, put it on the set. His personal life is affecting him so much. It's physically seeping into his movies um and i in the documentary they mentioned you know that that was his way of just being you know how his father and his upbringing is really still with him and um you know not inspiring but just informing this character who is having this awful relationship with his mother he gets um an oscar nomination for uh um that movie and um does not win <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that's his second non-win so in 1942, I know it's like right at the It was time. like right when the war started. Yeah. And so he would not get drafted by the British military. He became a U.S. citizen. Yes. And in the, in the same day, he also legally got his name changed to Cary Grant. Grant. Yeah. He does his next uh, Hitchcock film in 1946. Yep. Notorious co-starring Ingrid Bergman and Claude Rains is the big bad in that movie. And it's wonderful. Um... And now he's sort of post-war... Sorry, I, t I took over. No, no, please, head. please. Post-war, he, he starts making films that sort of play up the fact that he's no longer the young buck that he was. He does The Bachelor of the Bobby Soxer. He does Mr. Ban Blanding's Build His, His Dream Home. 
uh, Every Girl Should Be Married. You know, these are all kind of light comedies in yep. which he's like an older gentleman at that he time. He was kind of like thirsty for an Oscar. Yeah. He w- I mean, he really was. But also he wanted to basically say fuck you to the Academy because they hated him because he was an independent agent. Mm. You know, the Academy really fed into that studio system, really fed into the idea that actors should be under contract and you get rewarded as sort of a unit. Yeah, for playing nice. Yeah. And he wasn't about that. And it it, it did. It fucked him over. Yeah. Um, Can you imagine you made 70 plus movies and you got two nominations your entire career. Woof. <laughs> um, and th- one of the most tragic things is George Cooker comes to him and is like, I have this amazing script. I want you to be in this movie. Um, and Cary Grant's like, no, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. George Cooker comes to his house. They read the script together. Uh, Cary Grant reading the lead male role and George Cooker reading all the other roles. They finish the script and George Cooker says... This is why you're perfect for this role. And Cary Grant says, no, it's too close to home, and I don't want to play myself on screen. That movie is A Star is Born. I was going to say, don't you fucking guess. Yes. Starring Judy Garland, and the role eventually goes to James Mason, and it's a huge mistake for Cary Grant, and he should have played that role. Can yeah. you imagine... <laughs> I'm sad. I'm yeah. sad. Uh mid mid fifties, um, you know, he starts doing more romance. He's you know, he's older. He's not doing comedies anymore. Um he does his third Alfred Hitchcock film to catch a thief. So fun. I fucking love that movie. Wasn't well regarded at the time, really. People were confused by it. That's weird. Because yeah. also he stars Grace Kelly, who he gushed about. Yeah, absolutely. He was like, oh, yeah. I mean, and I wonder, I mean, I don't know enough about Grace Kelly, but like, she was the American oh, yeah. princess. And they had a long lasting friendship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at, at this time, he's married, he's now married to his third wife. It's actually his longest relationship, um, besides Randolph Scott. <laughs> and uh her name's Betsy Drake and they're married in 1949 and they last until 1962. Um but it's funny so while they were making to catch a thief they spent time in Monaco at the palace and uh Ke- both Grace Kelly and Cary Grant would remark on the fact that both of their spouses were very jealous because they thought that they were Cary Grant and Grace Kelly were in love with each other. So the spouses were very extra and very bickery and everything. And they just sort of sat back and like reveled in the fact that like there was this imagined love thing going on between them when there wasn't really. They yeah. were just good friends. I mean, and clearly there was love, but like not in he the was way her that... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, alone. Uh, also, what's weird about that movie is they race around the streets of Monaco on that, and then eventually she would die, you know, suffering yeah. a stroke in a car on the streets of Monaco. Yeah. Um. So he had a lot of he had a lot of grief over that. Um, he calls her possibly the finest actress I've ever worked with, and that's saying a lot because he was in movies with so many legendary um, actresses. From Catherine Hepburn, yeah. Ingrid Berman, uh, Audrey Hepburn, you know, like, uh, the list goes on and on. One of my favorite things, too, is he, uh, on one of the very few recordings, he didn't do a ton of uh, recorded interviews. One of the very few recordings we have of him, of him doing Q&A sessions, he talked about Grace Kelly. But the best actress I've ever worked with, all of you respect to dear Ingrid, was Grace Kelly. Well, thank you. 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 Well, thank you.
this is only true. Grace was had splendid insight in those and she was the epitome of what I was talking about a while ago. She never cared what that camera was doing or how she looked. Of course, she was beautiful and knew it, but then I know other beautiful girls who were always wondering how they looked while they were listening to me. In other words, they were subconscious of that. And Grace, in those days, didn't wear any makeup because she, she didn't believe in artificiality, neither do I for that I, I think the extent of the makeup is the extent of the insecurity, or the, the extent of the displeasure with one's face. I didn't wear makeup. I had to for the first year because of the unions and because of the studio demands. But as soon as I was popular enough that I could say, no, 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 I don't wear that stuff. I didn't wear it. He would tan. He would tan extensively <laughs> so he wouldn't have to wear makeup. And oftentimes, if they did have to put him in makeup, it was to powder him to make him less dark. I believe that 100%. Yeah. Uh, but I love that uh, about him. But anyways, uh, To Catch a Thief, uh, fun fact about To Catch a Thief, he received more than $700,000 um, after grosses, while Hitchcock received less than $50,000 for directing and producing it. Yeah. So contracts, Hanny. <laughs> um, like I said, it was mixed, but uh, people still loved him. And so in 1957, he does An Affair to Remember. Oh, God. The schmaltziest movie. I... Don't you? I, I have such a love for that movie. God. Uh, but I, I have like a personal connection. I, I We're running a little late, so I'm not gonna... I won't get into it now, but I'll tell you off pod, whatever. Um, I don't even like calling it a pod. Anyways, uh, lo- lots of crazy stuff. Like, I, I, I feel bad speeding up, but I feel like we're just talking about yeah, all his movies. We're, yeah, we're just gonna talk about all his movies. Um, you know, do, does a the pride and the passion in Spain with Frank Sinatra and uh, Sophia Loren and Grant falls in love, like head over heels in love with Sophia Loren and Sinatra falls in love with Sophia Loren. The power. And, oh my and God. like the, they get into arguments and Sinatra is the only person who besides George Burns, apparently who has the balls to comment on the homosexuality rumors to Cary Grant's face Ooh. because he keeps calling him mother Grant's. And Sophia Loren, who doesn't even have a full grasp on English, uh-huh. finds out what happened, what's happening, calls Frank Sinatra an Italian son of a bitch, Ooh. and he leaves the set. And they finish the movie without him, and he shoots his scenes in California. But Cary Grant and Frank Sinatra remain friends after that, and they yeah. become really good friends. So he I, gave him his honorary Oscar. He did. <laughs> so who remember knows? that time when I called you gay and yeah. Sophia Loren? <laughs> Exactly. Like, um, the fifties is such a weird time because it re it really is, um, just, you know, his romantic comedy time. Yep. Um, but you know, he gets five golden globe awards for best actor, uh, uh, motion picture or comedy nominations over his career. And the, they mostly come from the fifties. Yeah. Um, he does his final, uh, Hitchcock movie in 59 North by Northwest. Iconic. Absolutely. I saw it today. <laughs> I know, I look vaguely familiar. Yes. You feel you've seen me somewhere before? Mm-hmm. Funny how I have that effect on people. It's something about my face. It's a nice face. You think so? I wouldn't say it if I didn't. Oh, you're that type. What type? Honest. Not really. Good, because all these women frighten me. He does a touch of mink in 62... Um, and 
you know, in 62, also, the uh, Albert Broccoli and Harry Saltzman seek him out to play James Bond and Dr. No. Can you imagine? Um, and Cary Grant said no, because he was like, I'm only going to do one film. Yeah. And then this is during the time where he's just like, he's fully aging into his daddy years. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I can imagine he's like, whatever. He knows. I mean, he's in like... The way that Jack Nicholson at the end of his career was just like, I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want. Like, this yeah. is Cary Grant now, you know? Um, he makes possibly one of his best films next, which is yes. Charade, which yes. is a total Hitchcock send-up. It's with Audrey Hepburn, and it's they have so much fucking chemistry, even though he's so blatantly much older than her. Yeah, yeah. Um, I lo- I but it's love so it, good. Know? Um, it, it's often referred to as the best Hitchcock film Hitchcock never made. Yep. Um, and then his next two movies are his final movies. He makes Father Goose, which is a war film. Um, and, uh, it was a major success, box office success, but critical failure. And then he makes Walk, Don't Run, and it is trashed. And that's his final film. Um. And then he was like, I'm done. Thank yeah. You. Um, this was not, uh, this was not his first time retiring. He actually tried to retire four different times over his career, but this was the one that stuck. Yeah, he retired from the screen at 62 um, when his daughter Jennifer was born. Yes. So, uh, as we mentioned, it, his his third wife, that ends, um, and he meets, and this seems like the most, the strangest one of all, um, he meets Diane Cannon, much his junior. Uh, they marry in yeah. 65 at Howard Hughes's Desert Inn in Las Vegas. Uh, the daughter was born in 66, and she's his only child. Cary Grant had wanted to be a father for a very long time. He'd been talking about it with several of his wives. Um, I think part of that stems from the fact that he wanted to give the childhood that he never had to a child. Um, yeah, that whole thing is really sad to me. He, he was in his 60s. Yeah, he had his first kid, his only kid, right. when he was in his 60s. Um, and he said, you know, he just became so disillusioned with everything else, you know? Right. He says, I could have gone on acting and playing a grandfather or a bum, but I discovered more important things in life, you know? Like, what? Right. What? I mean, it's, and it's almost, I, and in this documentary also, he mentions he, during this time, he was taking like, um, LSD therapy. Yes. So his, his third wife introduced him to LSD therapy as, as a way, you know, some people say it's as a, as a way to find his deeper self. She actually didn't believe that. I told this one friend the despair I was in, and she said, well, you should try LSD. And it was completely legal, and it was extraordinary, absolutely amazing. The drug is administered as an alternative to traditional therapy, and Drake begins regular treatments with Dr. Mortimer Hartman. Contrary to popular belief, Grant follows for less than therapeutic reasons. He went in to find out from Moore Hartman what I was saying. He didn't think he had to find himself. He found himself, for God's sakes. Uh, He didn't think he was lost. (laughs) Grant is convinced to try the drug as well and immediately becomes a vocal proponent, undergoing over 100 sessions before LSD is outlawed in 1966. He would tell people that he stopped taking it at the end of the 50s. Diane Cannon divorces him in 1968, shortly after their daughter is born. Their marriage does not last very long. It's a messy, messy divorce. And she claims the LSD made him violent and abused her 
um, screamed at her, wouldn't let her do things, told her agent at one point that, uh, that she wasn't going to be doing any more acting because she needed to be broken and he was the man who was going to break her. Wow. Um, so all this comes out in a very public, messy divorce and, uh, and Cary Grant reveals that he has not given up taking LSD. Yeah. And from his unpublished memoir, he talks about how these therapy sessions really made him realize that he was punishing all of these women in his lives because of his mother. He was treating them like he wanted to um, express all this anger and frustration towards his mother, and he was letting it out on these women. Um, and just, I, I mean, again, if you can imagine, you know, things that you have to deal with your mom and dad and also your um, sexuality that you don't feel comfortable enough to be open about. Uh, and... And so imagine all this weight's lifted when you have this perfect little daughter and you're like, fuck it, you know? Right. You know that you just, you just made charade and then two other movies that like no one really liked. It's like, all right, the golden age was over. Yeah. Um, he did not want to do a comeback. He, um, he would respond to the suggestion with fat chance. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, you know, and in an interview with his daughter, she said, people thought we were, like, partying all the time. She was like, we were at home watching TV, playing games. Just- you know, one of my favorite things from his daughter, she has, he became basically a historian of his own life and cate- categorized everything for her. She has recordings that he made of her doing baby talk on the phone with him. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. I actually really like the relationship he had with his daughter. Hello, my love. Oh, my that's true. That's exactly right. Towards the end of the 60s, Gregory Peck becomes the head of the Oscars, uh, and he really turns it around. He makes it sort of the more younger, more relevant... Um, uh, Closer to the Oscars that we see today. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the first things he does is um, he postpones the Oscars the year that uh, Martin Luther King is assassinated for four days, uh, which is a huge deal. Uh, and... Part of his deal is, yeah, to make it younger and also to finally recognize some of the Hollywood luminaries that have been left behind. So in 1970, uh, Grant finally gets his Academy Award. It's the Academy Award for Lifetime Achievement. <laughs> the inscription on the statuette read, To carry for his unique mastery of the art of screen acting with respect and affection of his colleagues. On uh, being presented with the award, his friend Frank Sinatra announced, No one has brought more pleasure to more people for so many years than Carrie has, and nobody has done so many things so well. Yeah. Mother Grant. No, he didn't. <laughs> you know, I've never been a joiner or a member of any uh, oh, particular social set, but I've been privileged to be a part of Hollywood's most glorious era. And yet, tonight, thinking of all the empty screens that are waiting to be filled with marvelous images and ideologies, points of view, whatever, and considering all the students who are studying film techniques in the universities throughout the world, and the astonishing young talents that are coming up in our midst, I think there's an even more glorious era right around the corner. So, before I leave you, I want to thank you very much for signifying your approval of this. I should cherish it until I die, because probably no greater honor can come to any man than the respect of his colleagues. Thank you. So long. The 70s, 80s, you know, the true golden age of of, of these movies, it's, it's really is over. Yeah. And a lot of his movie star friends are 
passing away. Oh, absolutely. Grace Ke- Grace Kelly, Alfred Hitchcock, the relationship he had with Alfred Hitchcock um, seemed to be very deep and very, and, and not in just like a superficial, we work together way, but like, he understands that I am more than just this pretty face. Um, and so, yeah, uh, Grace Kelly dies um, in 82. Um, um, and in 81, you think that he's done being married. I mean, di- like I said, Diane Cannon and him divorced in 68. 81, he marries Barbara Harris at the, uh, she's, uh, she's British, really young. Yeah, right? British Hotel Public Relations. He is 47 years older than her. Uh, you know, they met, but he, he had a lot, like post acting, he has a lot of business contracts. One of the biggest one being Fabergé of all things. Of course. And they met at a Fabergé conference in London five years before that. Um, and yeah, and they, they married. And in 1979, she moved to, with, to California with him. Um, and, you know, a lot of people said she had a really positive impact. One kind of fucked up slash funny thing he mentioned at one of his friend's funerals. I'm absolutely pooped, and I'm so goddamn old. I'm going to quit all next year. I'm going to lie in bed, I should just close all doors, turn off the telephone, and enjoy my life. In 1986, uh, Cary Grant suffers a massive but slow-moving stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, his blood pressure reading was 210 over 130, which I guess is real bad. I don't, I'm not a medical person. Uh, Grant refused to be taken to the hospital. The doctor recalled the stroke is only getting worse. In only 15 minutes, he deteriorated rapidly. It was terrible watching him die and not being able to help, but he wouldn't let us. By 8.45 p.m., Grant had slipped into a coma and was taken to St. Luke's Hospital. He spent 45 minutes in emergency before being transferred to intensive care, where he was pronounced dead at 11.22 p.m. He was 82 years old. Yeah. In those last years of his life, he was um, not making movies and not doing much, but he was doing these, like, conversations. Yes. He was going out, um, and essentially, he didn't like talking about himself. He wanted, he in, rather enjoyed people asking him questions, and so it was very kind of loosey-goosey. Um, and that's where most of the recordings of him come from. Like I said, he was very private. In fact, he didn't even have a funeral. Because he yeah. said he didn't want that sort of uh, yeah. attention and nonsense. His, la- his last slide, you mentioned that her and Jennifer went up in a like helicopter and like threw his ashes out into the ocean and in over Hollywood. Yeah, and that was it. That was it. And and so uh, most of the recordings of of him talking about his personal life, and once again, very few of them, uh, come from this conversation that he would have these stage conversations, but. It was a big deal for him because they essentially traveled the same vaudeville circuit that he was doing back in the early 30s. Yeah. Um, there's a really good quote just to kind of like summarize all this up in the legacy of Cary Grant. Um, this is from biographer Graham McCann. He said, No other man seemed so classless and self-assured, at ease with the romantic as the comic, aged so well with such fine style. In short, played the part so well. Cary Grant made men seem like a good idea. And I, have, I mean, I really don't, I don't know if there's anything better than that. I mean, and and there hasn't been another good <laughs> case for them since. Yeah, literally has been no good men since. Uh, so I think that wraps up our rewind. Uh, yeah, I mean, a super, like, abbreviated, there's so much here about oh this my man God, that yeah. you guys could go and... I highly recommend that book that I read, like, yeah. I recommend uh, Becoming Cary Grant. It's on Showtime if you have access to that. Uh, but yeah, so Louie, let's move into our one-star reviews. Let's do it. So I really wasn't sure, and I do think that there's probably many 
problematic films, especially if you go back to the 30s. But I wasn't sure what I was going to pick when we decided to do this. And actually, the very first movie that I hadn't seen that I decided to watch was <laughs> 1962's That Touch of Mink. Ooh. Uh, I didn't see her. It's So it's a film in which Doris Day and Cary Grant are... It's basically the setup of any Doris Day movie, which is that it's a it's a sex farce. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of Rock Hud- the famous homosexual Rock Hudson, yes. you have famous bisexual uh, Cary Grant in the role. Uh, she's a down on her luck woman who's going to unemployment, or she's going to a job interview. She's unemployed, and a very rich man accidentally splashes her with his car, um, and so he goes looking for her. He eventually finds her, and he basically starts paying for her because he wants to fuck her. Of course. And she doesn't want to let that happen because she enjoys being doted on and being paid for. Is there anything you'd like? How about a late movie? All the theaters are closed. We can watch one on television. There is no television. (laughs) What do people do here at night? I mean, um... For entertainment. I mean, um, to uh, pass the time. They make up games, can't they? Simple, fun games. Come over here. And they they do lots of crazy things. They go and sit in the uh, Yankees dugout with a bunch of famous baseball players. But because I'm not a sports person, the only one I was like, when they mentioned, like, I think it's like, uh, Yogi Berra, and I was like, oh, I know that name, I know that yeah. name, yeah, 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 f- famous. Um, they go to Bermuda, and the first time they go to Bermuda, and he's, like, gonna fuck her, she breaks out in, in a rash, like, all over her body. So then, she, like, convinces him to do it again, and they go to Bermuda again, and she gets super drunk and falls out a window and is only rescued by an awning. Um, and then finally, in the end, they, like, get their shit together, and they decide to get married, and then they go back to Bermuda for their honeymoon, and he breaks out with a rash, so they still don't get to have Bermuda sex. Bermuda on your mind? Yeah, yeah exactly. And then at the very end, they have a baby. And, like, this is the major Cliff Notes version, but this movie, more than any of the movies in his catalog, I felt was the most uncomfortably dated film. Mm. Like, she... Doris Day whom I don't even have an issue with. And I think she has a lot of chemistry with Rock Hudson. I really do. She has no chemistry with Cary Grant. He looks tired and bored and annoyed with her antics. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. and because he's giving her nothing, he's not giving her any of the traditional Cary Grant charm, she doesn't want to be there either. And so it's really uncomfortable. It's very, it's very like she's basically not a person in this movie. <laughs> um, she's like kind of a silly dolt who just happens to have boobs yeah and yeah. uh mm-hmm. yeah and it just and because there's no chemistry it's very easy to buy into the like carrie grant's not interested in women like i never once believed it's a movie about him wanting to have sex with her i never once believed he wanted to have sex yeah, with her like sure yeah well. i'm like yeah just keep telling yourself that carrie <laughs> um so yeah i I don't even think this movie was that charming. There's two good things that have happened post this movie. Uh, one, Cary Grant kept all of his suits because he said that they were some of the most well-made him suits that he'd ever had. Okay. They were all basically all blue and gray, really tailored suits. And two, there was a, in the early 2000s, there's a, a, a gay comedy called That Touch of Pink. Uh. And the main character in it is often visited by his 
um, imaginary friend, which is Kyle McLaughlin playing Cary Grant. Stop. And he's so good and so funny. Um, and I highly recommend seeking out that film okay. and not watching that touch of mink. Come on, cheer up. It was a bit messy, but we got there in the end. He wanted me to come out to her. And you did, about being a heathen. In the end, it's what's best for you and Giles. It was hard for me to find what my one-star review is, because I, from what I saw, I kind of, you know, was getting a lot of the same, but, I, and this kind of makes me sad, but I think I'm going to have to go with None But The Lonely Heart. Um, Oscar nominated? I know, which feels very fucking weird, because, like I said, his accent is insane. <laughs> it's not good. Is um, is it more insane than his than his Sylvia Scarlet accent? Did you see? Sylvia I didn't see Sylvia Scarlet, but like this is like it comes and goes, like you know, like kind of how Scarlet Witches comes and goes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> relevance or, or or like Storm in yeah, the X Men, yeah, yeah, like yeah. first like, movie, second movie, what? Yeah. Third movie? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, so none but the Lonely Heart was made in 1944. Um. Cary Grant plays like this cockney drifter who returns home um, and he has no ambitions. He's like, he has a good musical ear. That's his like thing. He can like, he like hits pots and pans and he's like, E sharp. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> shit like that. Um, his mom is played by Ethel Barrymore, famous Barrymores. Um, and it, she like, and I know why he wanted to make this movie. I get it, you know, and, and that's what makes me like kind of bummed because I could see him trying with this movie, uh, but his accent is crazy. The story is very fucking sad. And I was just like, I don't... So, there's, like, at the beginning of the movie, like, they, like, slap the shit out of each other. She's like, you gotta come home. You gotta, like... She doesn't tell him that he ha she has cancer. Um, she just wants him to kind of like quote-unquote man up and like do the right thing and not be like just aloof what i can't understand is, what are you in here for what's the matter with you god out machinery run down you know if you get into any trouble see i been a good friend to me well don't be in here long ma i've got to get married don't forget that's right Find a nice girl to look after you. A good girl. Yes, ma'am. He also becomes smitten with this, like, woman named Ada. Um, it, you know, it's kind of all this, like, all of his movies have, like, that B-plot of, like, a woman. And, like, no, but yes, but no. <laughs> well, that's, uh, you know, the one I would say the one failure we forgot to mention in the rewind is one of the other interesting things about Cary Grant is he often unlike most of the men of his era, plays the pursuee and not the pursuer. Mm. His screen presence is rarely about pursuing a woman. Yeah. It's about being pursued by a woman. And maybe that's why that touch of mink didn't really work for me. Because mm. for once he was predator, not prey. Mm. And that's just not who Cary Grant is to me. Right, because he was always very good at playing, like, kind of sexy shy guy. Like, he had yeah. mysterious, like, <laughs> who, me? Um, <laughs> but... Uh, the, the, this movie also includes, like, there's, like, a plot about gangsters, and um, it's all about, like, this movie's trying to say something about, uh, basically, like, capitalism. Um, it was kind of, like, shellacked by the critics being like, this is, you know, communism propaganda, because he, 
in his mind in this movie, it's like, you know, we always have to work for money and it's all about money and blah, 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 blah. And, and literally the end of the movie, like, his mother gets thrown in jail. She dies in jail. And Ada, the love interest, ends up marrying the fucking gangster mobster character. And that's it. So laugh riot. Laugh riot. You know, Ada has decided to stay with the gangster. Mom is dead. And he's still, you know, nothing. And like literally nothing. That's the, that's the end of the movie. And I understand what they're trying to say. But as a whole, it's not really the most enjoyable movie to watch. And I don't think he's that good in it. Um, so if you're gonna like dip your toes into the Cary Grant waters from after this episode, don't start here. Yeah. And that's, and that would be a place that people would look because he was nominated. Yeah. So. And I think he was nominated because he was trying something different. There are a couple of scenes like with him and Ethel Barrymore, you can sense his like motherly rage just below the surface. Were there any others that you saw that were big disappointments for you? The talk of the town was meh. Yeah. Uh, people will talk was meh. Um, I watched this one called Big Brown Eyes, which was essentially, like, a combination of a, like, early screwball comedy, but also, like, detective thriller, Mm. and he tried, you know, it's pre-His Girl Friday, Mm. but he's still trying to do that really fast talk, and it just, like, it, nothing about it works. It hadn't informed yet. Yeah, exactly, and and it just feels half-baked, and I'll be honest... You know, even though it's one of the famous Joseph von Sternberg and uh, Marlena Dietrich joints, uh, I didn't think Blonde Venus was very good at all. You know, the very the very famous musical number where she comes dressed out as a gorilla and she take, is like super racist until yeah. she start until she starts taking off the gorilla costume, and it's just it's boring. It's really boring. But I will give it this: Pol- like politics on the on the other side of it is. It's amazing to see a movie from that era in which a woman uh, leaves her husband, has an affair, runs off, does her own thing, and in the end isn't punished for it. Is that movie the inspiration for the Batman and Robin? Yes, one hundred percent. Because I remember Poison Ivy yeah. coming out in the, in in the, the pink gorilla costume. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, "Holy shit!" Yep. this is almost like scene for scene. Like, I mean, I think that covers the bad part of Cary Grant's career. Let's talk about the good movies and move into our five star reviews. I had a hard time picking just one, though I eventually settled on the one that I initially thought I was going to. Okay. Um, go ahead. Okay. My five-star review is his 1946 collaboration with Alfred Hitchcock, Notorious. Mm. I love Notorious because I also think it comes in a time in which a lot of people saw Cary Grant as, you know, this is pre-romantic comedy, um, and but post-screwball comedy. I think a lot of people saw him as being funny. I think this is him at his most deadly serious, his most masculine, his most dark, but also he's the good guy. Oh my God, Gavin, are you okay? You're yeah, no, very, I'm very, yeah. Steamy in here. Um, the movie involves uh, Cary Grant, who is a spy. He recruits Ingrid Bergman uh, to essentially seduce a Nazi played by Claude Rains, you know, Alex Sebastian. Um, he's one of her father's friends. Um, and seduce him. He needs, he needs her to figure out what this, this man is doing with uranium. And so she needs to figure out where it is and what's happening with it. But what the, the big 
thing that's sort of happening is uh his character devlin um that it, he's this very stalwart man and he is falling in love with this what society would say is a damaged woman she's a uh, very into her own sexuality she's very into you know she's not a married person she sleeps around and whatnot and he essentially like is like oh well i hate you for being so free but i want you to use that freedom mm. in order to make things right to complicate matters uh her uh claude rains's mother gets involved and it's a very like sinister mother type thing uh they eventually figure out that she has been spying on him and they slowly start to poison her oh my god she discovers the ura- uranium has been being kept in um the these wine bottles underneath the house and she's trying to tell uh devlin that this happened and i don't want to give too much away about the end but honestly the 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 bit at the end is she's like succumbing to this poison but also she wants to do the right thing and devlin's coming to terms with the fact that he's in love with this woman who because of puritanical society everything about her disgusts him (laughs) and then on top of that you have this sort of effete man who's like maybe in love with his weird mom Uh and his mom who's just like a scary lady um it, it all works it's it's a beautiful forehander it's a gorgeous film highlight of the movie is a racetrack scene um in which she meets up with devlin to give him like an update report and he's so fucking mean to her because (laughs) he can't deal with the fact that he has these emotions for her oh you never believed in me anyways what's the difference lucky for both of us i didn't it wouldn't have been pretty if i believed in you if i'd figured she'd never be able to go through with this she's been made over by love if you only once said that you love me Listen, you chalked up another boyfriend, that's all. No harm done. I hate you. There's no occasion to. You're doing good work. Number 10's out in front. Looks as if Sebastian knows how to pick them. Is that all you have to say to me? Dry your eyes, baby. It's out of character. Except keep on your toes. It's a tough job we're on. Now, if any of this plot sounds familiar, by the way, it is beat for beat the same plot as Mission Impossible 2. Because that movie stole it. Uh, it was literally, I was watching um, North by Northwest today, and I was like, this is Mission Impossible shit. <laughs> I was like, it's um, thrilling and action and romance. I was like, this is the original, but four quadrant like movie. There's something about the way that Ingrid, Ingrid Bergman plays her role in the movie, um, Alicia Huberman. Uh, she is <clears throat> so cold and angry at the world that it makes it extra sexy that she's playing this woman who's supposed to be like this sort of sexual fiend. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know because it, it's almost sort of against cast and together. Ooh, let me tell you. And it's funny because later on they would go to star in another movie together called indiscreet. So obviously he enjoyed working with her yeah. and, and that makes me really happy. But they, but yeah, uh, notorious is, if I was the type of person to be like, I have a favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie, I think it'd be Notorious. Wow. So that's got to be my five-star review. That's cool. Um, my For me, it came down to two movies. And I think I'm going to choose the one. There's one movie that I enjoyed more, but there is this other movie that I think he is um, better and I think is more of a showcase for it. So my pick is going to be uh, 1963's Charade. I love Charade. Um, it just... 
you really see... So this movie is, first of all, just like the twistiest, turniest, most yeah. extra movie. We would have to dedicate an entire other podcast to tell you all the twists and turns that occur. Yeah. Um, but he, it's really a showcase for like all the things he can do. Um, also it's towards the end of his career. So he's fully so loose, so charming, um, very uh, fully like daddy type, especially playing against Audrey Audrey Hepburn, Hepburn. who is a young little wisp of a woman. My favorite moment in that movie is she's shaving his face, which Mm -hmm. is weirdly erotic. Yep. And she gets to his... Very famous chin dimple, dimple, and she's like, "How do you shave in there?" Yeah, yeah, it's so good. By the way, there was reportedly in the '30s when he was really big a rash of people of men who had taken like nails to their chin Jesus to try Christ. and push in the dimple. Awful. Yeah, um, really bad. So charade, uh, it's like it's a thriller, it's a romance, it's a comedy. Um, like we said, it's a complete. Hitchcock wannabe, but it's still so stylish and so good. It somehow walks the line of all these three genres, and it's brilliant. Um, Cary Grant has said when he took the role that he was really worried about being so much older than Audrey and made them write a scene in there to really show him not being the one who's pursuing her and to really try and put the brakes on uh, the relationship, even though they just had such a fire um, between the two of them. Oh, hey, knock it off. Now, come on, Reggie, listen to me. Oh, here it comes, the fatherly talk. You forget I'm already a widow. Well, so was Juliet at 15. Mm, but I'm not 15. Well, that's your trouble. You're too old for me. Can't you be serious? Oh, you just said an horrible word. What did I say? Serious. When a man gets to be my age, that's the last word he ever wants to hear. I don't want to be serious. And I especially don't want you to be. Okay, we'll just sit around all day long being frivolous. How about that? Reggie, <laughs> cut it out. Okay. Well, now what are you doing? Cutting it out. Who told you to do that? You did. Oh, I'm not through complaining yet. Oh. The plot, very loosely, is... Uh, Regina or Reggie Lampert, which is Audrey Hepburn, she's on holiday and she's deciding to divorce her husband. Um, she also meets a charming stranger. That's Cary Grant. Play, um, and his name for now is Peter. She returns to Paris and her apartment. She finds like it's stripped. It's empty, you know, and police tell her that, um, her husband has, uh, been murdered at his funeral. These kind of shady looking men who she's never seen before all kind of show up, and they all want to make sure that this person is dead. This big mystery essentially unfolds around Audrey Hepburn. These men all are aggressively being like, where is it? Your husband had something that we want. She's also taken in by the CIA, um, and they start telling her, oh, these are men that used to uh, be with your husband in the war, and they stole some money. Um, but to, you know, evade capture, they hid it somewhere or your husband had it. Um, so beware, they might kill you because, you know, they killed him. Um, and nonsense 
ensues. I mean, it is. It is just nonsense. It's so. It's so much fun. It is. As we mentioned before, it's the best Alfred Hitchcock film Alfred Hitchcock never made. Charade is fully, great. Yeah. It's glorious. He's And I'm glad you picked something late in his career, since I picked something late in his career for uh, my one-star review, because I do think there is amazing stuff he did when he was older. You know, it just so happened that I had I found a bad one. Yeah, and I, I mean, this movie, like I said, it's incredibly stylish, um, very quick and light on its feet. Yeah. Stanley Donnan's an amazing director. Um, it and the reason why, like, the, the, the plot is fully bonkers, you know, and this is not a spoiler, but, like, Cary Grant's character is not who he says he is, and changes who he is multiple times throughout the movie, um, which kind of, like, there's a great scene where he's, like, taking a shower in his entire suit, and I was just like, oh my god, he's having so much fun! Um, and you... Uh, the plot, I think, works because um, you just are having so much fun watching him and Audrey going through all these kind of like weird, um, like, wait, who are you? And you're doing what now? <laughs> yeah. And there's also this other person and he was just outside and where did he go? <laughs> and like, I'm staying in my room and like, well, like it's, it doesn't even matter if you can like keep up with like, you know, and at the end, Audrey's character is like, I don't know who to trust. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, it's, it's delightful. It's it just is. the word. Um, these are two Titans of the screen that is like at the peak of their powers. Um, was there any other five-star reviews that you could think of? My other one was Holiday. Oh, really? I, I really love Holiday. I, it's so good. I, I I didn't choose Holiday just because I think I liked Holiday because of Catherine Hepburn. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's really amazing in the movie. I love that movie. Be. It's uh, it's like he's... Because there's a lot of, like, bitches in that movie also who yeah. are just, like, very, like, kind of... It's all... Like, well, she, and she's the one who's just not having it. Yeah. She's just not having anything. Yeah, she is a wealthy woman who is just like, oh, this society is such bullshit. Yeah. You know, I don't give a fuck if I'm embarrassing you, mom. <laughs> a listener of the show and friend of ours, Melissa, uh, really loves this movie. I know she watches it around every Christmas time. It's great. So she'd be happy to hear that. Yeah, I... I so much. And that's why I was so upset when I watched Bringing Up Baby afterwards, because I was like, no, Catherine, I love you I mean, so much. I mean, they're so, so very different. And and since we're on a Catherine Hepburn kick, I... I I really did like Sylvia Scarlet. I understand why it was a disaster. It's like uncategorizable. It's not, it's supposed to be a comedy. It's not funny. Um, it's not a drama though either. So I don't really know what it is, but it is a lot of fun. And then on top of that, the Philadelphia story is I, I to me, pinnacle Cary Grant, um, Catherine Hepburn, like, and I know that they're not even the, the, the big draw in it. Like the, the big is, is her and Jimmy Stewart. Because it really ends up being their love story, but they're so charming together, her and Cara Grant as exes, that I loved every second of it. Hello. Fancy seeing you here. Orange juice? Certainly. Now tell me you've forsaken your beloved whiskey and whiskies. No, 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 no. I've just changed their color, that's all. I'm going for the pale pastel shades now. They're more becoming to me. How about you, Mr. Connor? You drink, don't you? Alcohol, I mean. Oh, a little. A, li- a little? And you a writer? I thought all writers drank to excess and beat their wives. There's a lot of good things in his... If you want to, like... I did, like, Penny Serenade, which is another, like, sad... Like, one of the sad movies he did, which I thought, um, you know... Again, this movie's about, like, him wanting a child and wanting to keep a child. And um, uh, I feel like he really connected to that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also do just want to give a shout-out to the two Mae West films. He's he's actually not in them very much, I'll be honest. He's kind of very much a supporting player, even though he's the leading man. But I'm No Angel and She Done Him Wrong are so much fucking fun. Because, like I said, she's the horniest creature alive. 
you know <laughs> so shout out yeah exactly and also all i can think of is alaska's yeah. impersonation yeah. well rue i gotta say she probed them with her tootsie loo <laughs> why don't you come on up and fuck me in the ass sometime <laughs> 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 so yeah, I guess that wraps up our picks. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, real quick, before we move into our fast forward, let's do our uh, mixed reviews review because we've basically forgotten to do that for we the last four have. episodes. We absolutely have. So my one star review was 1962's That Touch of Mink. Mine was 1944's None But a Lonely Heart. And my five star review was 1946's Notorious. Mine was 1963's Shrape. All right, Louie, let's move into our fast forward. I think what I want to talk about is most like his legacy. And like we had already mentioned George Clooney and yeah, kind of because I fully just could not get that out of my mind. I was like, cause I was thinking like, who is like this? Right. Who, you know, George Clooney is always the first one that springs to mind, but it's funny that you brought up. Uh, John Hamm, because I hadn't thought of John Hamm before. And I do think John Hamm has gone out of his way to, like, play more character-y characters um, than than wanting to be a Cary Grant. But also, if you look at a lot of the types of comedies, the sort of comedy that, you know, it feels that very Cary Grant, like, upper crust. I think there's a, a posture about John Hamm that he'll never be able to escape. And I think it's a very similar thing to what Cary Grant... I'm also more thinking about... Um, Chris Hemsworth, yeah, like, and and obviously his career has been dominated by Thor, but um, but I mean, look at the character he played in Ghostbusters. I was thinking, like, he's yeah. he's kind of there's also like really bad comedies I forgot about, like that Vacation. Oh yeah, whatever. I never saw that. Me Sorry. either. But like, I think he knows he's fucking hot, right? And he's willing to take the piss out of himself and just be fully like the butt of a joke, right? Which is even shown in the 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 arc of Thor, you know, becoming more silly and like kind of, I don't want to say dumbing him down, but just, you know, being more than just the muscle. Um, and, but I, I'm also trying to think like army hammer, maybe. Uh, I almost feel like, I mean, unpopular opinion. I think army hammer is so stiff except for maybe sorry to bother you, which I, I thought that he was more comedic. In. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but like I, I don't see mm-hmm. the range that everybody else sees in Army Hammer. She that might just be me. Yeah, she doesn't have the range. I also just remember that Cary Grant is fully taking advantage of all his acrobatic days in a lot of his movies. Oh, absolutely. Where he just like do a casual backflip here and there. Um, we didn't talk much about how he was such a physical actor. He was falling down. That scene in Charade is a good, um, you know, example of that where he's just kind of like fully, he looks like he's acting like a monkey. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think he was such a well-rounded um, actor, and I think it's really uh, impressive that he was—he had done so much so young, you know, and so he had this really great long um, from middle to end part of his career where he was able to do whatever he wanted, right? And so the—I mean, there's not really a future we can talk about Cary Grant, but I wonder: Do you think the era of the of the movie star is fully done? I mean, we obviously care about movie stars but i feel like you know not not a ton of people well it's hard now because celebrity is such a watered down thing now right i mean you can be a celebrity on instagram or youtube for doing all sorts of things um and not to say that it's you know better or worse but it's it's almost like now you 
definitely, if you're going to be like, I mean, look at the Oscars. Yeah. You know, they're not really giving out uh, statues to movie stars. Right. They're giving them out to people who like have the craft, you know, and who, and it's become a lot more, um, you know, anyone can be a celebrity, but only a few can be like, you know, and, and actors. And I think if you look at the, if you look at the top awards this year, it's often people who, you know, mainstream audiences don't fully know of. Right. Like, and I, I mean, obviously, I love Olivia Coleman. Wanted Olivia Coleman to win for, for yeah. best actress, but like, she is not a household name in America. Right. Even Rami Malik, who's on a very popular TV show, and once again, like, say what you will about that win, it's still just like, yeah. Rami Malik? Like, yeah. I, I imagine most, uh, if you were like, uh, you know, someone who kind of, Secondhandedly liked going to movies and watch the Oscars, and you know you saw that Lady Gaga was nominated. Right. You probably thought Lady Gaga was going to win, right? Right, right. absolutely. Yeah. She yeah. was the biggest name, and you maybe saw her movie because it was like the biggest, splashiest movie of right. the award season. Um, and no shade to her, I thought she was great. Um, but it was clear that the Os- like the Academy, is more interested right. now in recognizing um not just big splashy things, but people who they think really you know have the craft. Um. So, yeah, it's hard. I, I don't even know if there's anyone who's, you know, out there right now in the same vein of Cary Grant. Also, just because celebrities aren't that mysterious anymore. Right. And that's the other thing. And it, I, I feel like he, you know, he, he lived his life closer. I would say the closest you have sort of is like a Robert De Niro nowadays who really guards his personal life and really keeps it out of the, the press and isn't often hounded by the press right. either. You know, because like, because Brad Pitt had, you know, high profile marriage and high Brady profile relations. And, yeah. And, and obviously it's so much worse for women as well, too, um, that they can't even fucking go to coffee and sweat, get sweatpants right. without, they're having a breakdown. Yeah, exactly. TMZ surrounding them. But like, you're right. There isn't, there isn't that sort of privacy anymore. Privacy is sort of dead for the average person. It's right. extra dead right. for a celebrity. We really talked about that in the Jennifer Garner episode. Oh, yeah, and, totally. Um, and it's, it's 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 two sides. Like, obviously, when you you become a public person, like, you are giving up a part of yourself yeah. for, you know, uh, consumption. Yeah, yeah. To, to be consumed. Um, but in the 30s and 40s, that what you really had to try hard to get your name out there. You were trying, I mean, you were Joan Crawford doing everything you could yeah. to get your name into the, in the mouths of people. Um, and now it's kind of like the opposite. Like if you're in anything and, but what, when I say anything, I even mean like a viral video, Yeah, you know, like it, it'll, I mean, it'll, it'll like burn up faster for sure. But, yeah. but it's the stuff that you have to do. It's the stuff that like gets people yeah. to come to your movies and keep their eyes on you. Viral content, viral content. So it is interesting. I guess that, that era of, celebrity that it's, it's, you, it's yeah. gone uh but yeah i guess that sort of wraps up carrie grant in a weird way yeah but where can you find us online that's a good question we are online so many places oh. first of all itunes stitcher radio iHeartRadio, radio uh spotify spotify they're spotify really... is a big one the kids love it yeah they're making moves they're making moves i think they're the future in streaming <laughs> um if you want to if you want to contact us on Twitter, we're at The Mixed Reviews. We're on Facebook. Just type in The Mixed Reviews. Or you can send us a lovely email, which we've actually been getting some. Some of them are just suggestions, which is why I haven't been reading them. But you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. Well, what suggestions are we getting? Uh, as I mentioned before, Julia Roberts. We got we got another call for uh, Amal Dovar. 
so oh, I'm really yeah, yeah we gotta yeah, get on gotta that get at on some point sure. uh, but yeah that's uh, so yeah b- please send in your suggestions we like that absolutely and once again if you listen to us on uh, iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts please rate and review us give us a five star review and, and write us a little love note and it increases our visibility so other people can see us too yeah we're not just the voices in your head anymore <laughs> spread <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Louis, this has been a really excellent time. It's been good. It's been a gay old time, chap. That's better. It's better. It's gotten better. I've gotten a little less congested as it's gone on. Well, thanks so much for spending some time with us, guys, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. There never was a night like this. There never was a girl like you. Each moment of delight like this is love divided by two. Your loveliness will glorify that happiness I have in view. And I'll have even more if I divide the glory with you.